Well, good morning, Wakefield. It is really great to be at Wakefield. I just want to tell you guys because, you know, this is, this is my church. I was at Six Forks last week, and it was great, and they were so friendly. But I'm not quite sure that they really totally got everything that I was saying, like, in this introduction. Because what I did was I explained to them that although I've never done this part of the service before, but over at Wakefield over here, I've done a couple things on the platform. And, and I told them about that time, a couple of you might remember that time, when I had to do the What's Up card announcement, and I pretended like I thought I was supposed to be talking about conserving energy and not getting the What's Up. You know, remember when we talked about how the What's Up card helps you get plugged in and stay connected and stay current with what's going on? And, and you know, they were kind of shocked that, that, that you guys were thinking that that was like, you know, an electrifying presentation, you know, and, and I, I told them it generated a lot of energy in the crowd, but I don't know, I think maybe they thought it was a little too light, I'm not sure, but anyway, then, I, then as I was speaking to them, I realized that y'all haven't really asked me to do that again, so maybe I just need to <laughs> find another outlet for my punning talents, I don't know, but um, I like puns. If you know me for five minutes, you know that I like words. I like plays on words. And and this all really started for me when I was really, really young. I remember being a five-year-old girl, and this will give away my age, but Lyndon B. Johnson was president. And I heard him on TV, and he was giving a speech, and he said, my fellow Americans, I come here today with a heavy heart. Well, now, it was right around Valentine's Day, and my older sister's boyfriend had gotten her one of those big old Whitman samplers, chocolate, heart-shaped chocolate sampler box things. I mean, there was nothing that said, I love you, like a great big Whitman sampler back then. But um, this thing was sitting out on the table, and I don't know if you've ever seen them, but for those of you who who just text, I love you on Valentine's Day now, they used to give candy in these big boxes with with lace and ribbons and bows and all the stuff, and inside there was just an assortment of all kinds of candies. And it was beautiful the first couple of times you opened it, but then as time went on, at least in our family, someone took the, the fact that it was a sampler a little too literally, and they would just take a piece of candy and take a bite and find out it was like chocolate covered cherry or nougat and just put the half-eaten piece of candy back in the box. And I just kind of always thought that they should be called Whitman's Take a Bite, and if you don't like it, throw it in the trash candies. And this box, actually, that this guy had gotten my sister, that logo would have actually fit on it because it was huge. It was humongous. So anyway, I and my five-year-old brilliance... um, took that big old heart-shaped box of candy, and I was about this tall, took that big heart-shaped box of candy into the living room and marched in front of my family and said, my fellow Americans, I come here today with a heavy heart. (laughs) And my parents were worried. You know, when your five-year-old does that, that's kind of scary. But, you know, the people in my life have just kind of gotten used to the fact that I really love words and plays on words, and these things just kind of pop into my head. And some of them have grown to appreciate it, and others of them just grown. So you can do either or. It's fine. But I have always, always loved words and word meanings and synonyms and antonyms and and word searches. And and my love for words in general has fueled my love for God's word. So as we this summer have been going through the Roots series, the study of the book of Acts, and we're just going into the word and pulling out what we can learn from it, I have just absolutely loved it. So today we're going to do that again. We're going to go into the book of Acts and if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, and our ushers have some that they would, they would love to give you, so don't be shy. Raise your hand, and you can keep this as a gift from LifePoint. We believe the words in that book are true and meaningful for your life.
life. So get a Bible. You're going to want to check this story out because if you didn't see it in there, you might think I made it up. But the book of Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament. It follows Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell the story of how Jesus came to earth, how he lived, how he died on the cross, and how he rose again. And then Acts picks up after the resurrection, and it's right at the time, the beginning of Acts is right at the time when Jesus is preparing to go back to, to heaven, and he's talking to his, his followers, and he's giving them instructions. And he tells them in Acts 1.8, he says, you will have power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses. In other words, Jesus was going to send the Holy Spirit, who I like to think of as Jesus without skin. The Holy Spirit is just Jesus with living within us. You see, Jesus was no longer going to be able to walk physically, walk alongside his followers, but he promised he would never leave them or forsake them. So he promised that he would send the Holy Spirit who would live inside them and would empower them to tell other people about him and to continue his work. So that is exactly what had happened. He had commissioned some people, the apostles, Donnie talked about that last week. He had commissioned them to carry on his work, to tell others about him. And that is exactly what was happening. Regular, ordinary people like us were being empowered by the Holy Spirit to tell people about Christ, and people were coming to, to the church. They were coming to, be, to believe in Christ, and the church was experiencing exponential growth. So today, we're going to pick up in Acts at uh, chapter 4, verse 32, and we're going to see what's happening in this young and growing church. Okay, so Acts four thirty-two. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone as he had need. So here we see this young church was a real community of believers, and they were characterized by unity, generosity, power, and grace. Amazing things were happening. These people were so filled with the Spirit of God that they were just absolutely overflowing with generosity. They were united to Jesus by faith, and that allowed them to be united to each other by love. And this love that they had for God and each other just absolutely overflowed in acts of selfless generosity. They gave because they wanted to give. They shared because they wanted to share. It wasn't a requirement for church membership. It wasn't some kind of rule that they were keeping. But they were learning to hold things loosely and hold people closely. They had come to a point where they valued people more than possessions. Now, that concept is a little difficult for those of us living in tough financial times. You know, when things are like they are right now, we tend to kind of hold things very tightly because we're afraid we're going to lose them. In fact, some of us have lost thousands of dollars of retirement investments that we had. Some people have lost jobs that they held for years and years and years. And some other people aren't even sure how much longer they're going to have a job. So when things are like that, we tend to just kind of hold back and, and hold tightly to what we do have for fear that we might lose it. But what we need to remember is that our money and our possessions, our things, are going to eventually rot, rust, burn, 
and fade away. In fact, the only thing we can really take with us into eternity is people. That's the only thing that's really eternal. So like these believers in the early church, I believe we need to come to a place where we realize that everything we have is a gift from God anyway. So we should appreciate it, definitely. But we also should look for ways to use what we have to show God's love to other people. And these believers in Acts were doing exactly that. They were united They were generous, and they had great power, just like Jesus promised. Remember in Acts 1-8, he said, you will have power, and this scripture said they had great power as they told people about him. I went and looked up the original Greek word for the word power as it's used here and in uh, chapter 1, verse 8, and the word is dunamis, and it is the word from which we derive the word dynamite. And I absolutely love that thought. You know, Jesus wasn't going to leave them with just enough to get by. Jesus was going to give them dynamite power. When they accepted him by faith and and the Holy Spirit came to live inside them, they were filled with his dynamite power. And, you know, the way I like to think of it is that the Holy Spirit puts the pow in power. And it does explain the explosive growth of the church. I mean, this this is for real. So there was power in their unity. There was power in their generosity, and there was power in their testimony. As a result, we see that what ultimately happened was that great grace was upon them all. And I looked up the word grace here, and the definition of it is graciousness of manner, the divine influence upon the heart, and its reflection in the life. So something was happening in their heart that was being reflected out in their life. And you know, it's really true. Whatever it is that is in our heart is ultimately going to be played out in the way we live our life. Whatever we store up in our heart is going to overflow in our words and our actions and our attitudes. Well, as we move to the next couple of verses, we're going to be introduced to a man who was absolutely overflowing with the grace of God. Let's go to Acts 4.36, where we'll meet a guy named Joseph. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. God's love and God's grace was so clearly reflected in Joseph's life that they just called him another name. They nicknamed him Barnabas, and Barnabas means son of encouragement. You know, as I thought about this, I was thinking, hmm, I wonder what my nickname would be if the people that I live and work and go to church with nicknamed me for the way that I act and for the attitudes that I have. An even more sobering thought is, would I have the same nickname at church that I have at home and that I have at work? Kind of a scary thought. Well, Joseph earned the nickname Barnabas because he comforted and encouraged people. He did what he did out of a heart of generosity and love. And I love that he didn't draw attention to himself. I mean, this is just a little verse, you know. He did this huge thing, but it's a little verse. He didn't call a press conference and say, I hereby give blah, blah, blah amount of money to the church. He didn't earmark the funds for a special project that he was particularly interested in. No, he just sold his land. He brought the proceeds from the sale, he he laid it at the apostles' feet, and he trusted the leaders of his church to do the right thing with his money, to give it to the people who needed it. He considered the needs of the community to be more important than his need to be a landowner. I think he was outstanding in his field because he didn't have to be outstanding in his field. He just saw it as a piece of dirt that could be used for God's glory, so he sold it and he gave the money. His goal was the good of the community, and his motive was love. 
Apparently, he had learned the important truth that when we are free from the love of things, we are free for the love of people. That's a really important truth for you and me 2,000 years later. I mean, if we really want to help others, we have to come to a place where we're able to hold things loosely. Some of us have a problem with that because we find our identity and our security in the things that we have. You know, maybe it would be a good idea to ask ourselves, how generous am I? How loosely do I hold things? I mean, for instance, if every person in this room was exactly as generous as you are, would we be able to pay the lease on the theater? Would the staff be going hungry? Would there be any money left over for the local ministries that help the needy in Wake Forest and Raleigh and Guatemala? Christ's followers are called to be generous people who who trust God to meet our needs as we seek to meet the needs of other people. And that is exactly what was happening here in Acts chapter 4. The people were absolutely overflowing with generosity because they had chosen to follow Christ and they were becoming a community that was known for their unity, their generosity, their grace, and their power. But as it is, anytime you have people involved, things were not perfect. And as we move to chapter 5, we're going to look at an episode in the early church that's kind of frightening, actually, and, to, and, and it's a little perplexing. So let's look at it real closely. Let's go to Acts 5, verse 1. Now a man named Ananias, together with his, with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. Now I have to tell you, this story is a little hard to wrap up in a neat little bow with three points in a poem and send you on your way. In fact, I'm convinced this is why Donnie went on vacation, because of Acts chapter 5. Don't tell him I said. But um, as we read this rather unsettling story, we have to remember a couple of things, first of all. Remember, this was the roots of the church. What happened here was foundational for everything that would happen from that point on in the Christian church. The good things that happened would be patterns that you and I could follow in 2009, and the bad things that happened could be warnings of things that we need to avoid. So when you look at this story at the outset, you know, just like the very first phrase, you think, oh, Ananias and Sapphira are doing what the other people did. They're selling their property and they're giving the money to the church. But as the story unfolds, we see something completely different is happening because verse 2 says that Ananias, with the full knowledge of his wife Sapphira, kept back part of the money for himself. Now, I went and looked at the original Greek word for kept back, as it's used here, and it's actually a lot stronger and a lot more telling in the original language because in the Greek it means to embezzle or deprive by fraud. So what's happening here is Ananias is pretending to give the full price of the land to the church when, in fact, he's really only giving the leftovers. On the, on the surface, it looks like he's a generous contributor to the community. But when you look beneath the surface, you see that he's really just going through the motions. 
You know, it makes me wonder what happened behind the scenes at Ananias and Sapphira's house. I mean, did they start out with good intentions? Did they really plan to do this and then give all the money to the church? But maybe then their 401k took a hit and they were worried about their retirement funds and they thought, ooh, we better keep some, but, but let's just not tell the church that we're doing that. Or, or maybe they justified it and said, hey, at least we're giving something to the church. That's more than a lot of people, right? Well, maybe they noticed that Barnabas just got a ton of positive attention and he even got a cool nickname and everything. And maybe they just wanted some of that action. Or maybe this was just how they rolled, you know? Maybe, Bar- maybe Ananias was just a business tycoon and he cheated on all his business deals. And his wife was an enabler who, was, who never called him out for his deceit and his fraud. I don't know what, what was going on behind the scenes, but I do know that Sapphira never called out her husband for what he was doing that was sinful, but the Apostle Peter sure did. Did you see? I mean, he just went right to the heart of the matter, and he said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money that you received for the land? You know, Peter got right to the source of the matter. He knew that Satan is the source of deceit and lies. You see, Peter had heard Jesus say back in John 8, 44, he had heard Jesus say that Satan is the father of lies. So he knew where lies came from. Peter knew that Satan seeks to chip away at the integrity of people who are seeking to follow Christ. You know, years ago, and again, I tell my age, but years ago, there was this comedian named Flip Wilson, and he had this character, this, he actually dressed up like a girl, um, he had this character named Geraldine, and Geraldine just did all kinds of terrible stuff, but her excuse always was, the devil made me do it. She always said that, the devil made her do it. Now, that might have been okay comedy, but it was horrible theology, you see, because the devil can't make us do anything. He can suggest, and he can entice, and he can make his suggestions enticing, but he can't make us do anything. We have a choice. You know, perhaps Satan suggested to Ananias, just kind of whispered to him, you know, you worked hard to get that property. You deserve to keep back some of the money. And you know those needy people? They're probably just lazy. They probably just need to work a little bit harder. Um, You know, this is just a smart business tactic. Um, No one will ever know. You know, that's the kind of things that Satan suggests to us. But 1 Corinthians 10.13 tells us that no temptation has seized us except what's common to man. But God is faithful. He'll not let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. And he will always, when we are tempted, he will always provide a way out so that we can stand up under it. I love this verse because it's so honest about the fact that we are going to be tempted, that Satan is going to suggest things to us, but God always provides an exit door. He always provides a way out. So you and I have a choice. We hear the suggestion, and then we have a choice. Are we going to listen to the suggestion and act on that, or are we going to look for the exit door and get out of there? Unfortunately, Ananias didn't look for the exit door. You know, he could have just said right up front, Hey guys, I sold some property and I want to give part of the money to the church. It would have been fine. The deal would have been great then. But deceit entered the picture when he pretended to give everything when he was really only giving a portion of it. You know, like Peter said, it was his land. He didn't even have to sell it in the first place. After he sold it, it was his money. He could do with what he wanted to. But he chose to be fraudulent and deceitful and to say that he was giving everything when he was really just giving the leftovers. 
Sadly, even after Peter called him out for his deception, Ananias didn't repent. Peter boldly confronted him as the leader of the church. Peter had to do that. He had to confront the deception because he knew that deception and fraud can cripple a church. We've seen that with televangelists. We've seen what happens when there's deceit and there's fraud and it's allowed to continue. It becomes a horrible, ugly thing. This was the entire foundation of the Christian church and the Holy Spirit inside of Peter had to bring out the truth. But even when he did that, even when he confronted Ananias with his sin, Ananias didn't repent. And where there is no repentance, there will ultimately be punishment. And in this case, God's divine punishment was really prompt and decisive and conspicuous. He dropped dead right in front of everyone, right in in front of Peter's feet. He dropped dead, and his death sent the clear message that God takes the sin of deceit and hypocrisy very seriously. So Ananias died, and the young men took him out and buried him. So where was his wife all this time? Let's go find out. Go to uh, 5 verse 7. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that's the price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they'll carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. You know, even though Sapphira had cooperated with her husband in the cover-up, it was interesting that she didn't accompany him when he went to carry it out. You know, I wondered, was she distancing herself from him so she wouldn't feel so guilty? Or maybe she was just out shopping. You know, she had just come into some money, and I'm thinking a girl named Sapphira would probably like jewelry, so I'm wondering if she just went out spending some of that money. But no matter what she was doing, when she came in, did you notice that Peter gave her the opportunity to tell the truth? He asked her point blank, is this the price you got for the land? And she chose to lie right in that moment. And her punishment was just as swift and just as decisive as her husband's. You know, the money that they had so greedily held on to wasn't going to mean a thing to them now because they were both dead. I think there are a number of lessons that you and I, living in the 21st century, can learn from this event, this tragic event in the first century church. First of all, we see that when we hold on tightly to our possessions, our possessions have a tight hold on us. You know, have you ever really stopped to consider how much time we spend on things, and and money actually, time, energy, and money, we spend on things that will rot, rust, burn, and fade away? How many opportunities do we miss to engage with or meet the needs of other people because we're busy washing, waxing, painting, paying for, planning for, buffing, whatever, all of our stuff? You know, again, it's not wrong to have stuff. God gives us stuff. But we need to be careful that our stuff doesn't literally get the best of us. Another thing I think we can learn from this story is that when it comes to giving, the motive is more important than the money. You know, Barnabas gave what he gave out of a heart of love and generosity. His goal was the good of the community. His motive was love. And he loved people more than he loved money, so he was able to just be generous and give. 
it appears that Ananias loved money more than he loved people. And 1 Timothy 6.10 warns us that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And in this case, the evil root grew up into deceit and fraud and ultimately punishment and death for Ananias and Sapphira. Barnabas gave everything, and he ended up gaining even more. If you read through the scriptures, you'll see this man ended up having an incredible ministry. He would forever be known as the encourager. He came alongside the other leaders and, and patted them on the back and said, you can do this, let's go, let's, let's go reach people for Christ. He ended up having a very fruitful and fulfilling life. Ananias and Sapphira gave a little, and they ended up losing everything. They will forever be remembered as the couple who was dying to be respected because of their big contribution to the church, but they ended up dying right beside their fraudulent contribution. And I think it's really interesting that the scripture doesn't tell us which of these offerings that they brought was more financially valuable. You know, it could well be that what Ananias brought to Peter might have actually been more money than what Barnabas brought. We don't know. But the point is it doesn't matter because it's not the money, it's the motive behind the giving that counts. And finally, we see from this story that our actions affect others. You know, people were affected in a positive way because of Barnabas' generosity. Many needy people were helped because of his decision to sell his land and give the money to the church. But people were affected in a very negative way because of the deceit of Ananias and Sapphira. You know, the believers were enjoying this wonderful time of community and generosity and grace and power. And now it says they were seized with fear because of what had happened. And did you notice it said that the other people who heard about it were seized with fear as well? So I'm thinking that the collateral damage even went outside the walls of the church as other people heard about what happened in the church. And I couldn't help but think about those young men that had to bury this couple. We have three sons, and they're all young men now. Maybe that's why I focused on that. But I just kept thinking about these guys. I mean, it said that, that they were just getting back from burying Ananias when, she, when Sapphira came in. So it took them at least three hours to dig the hole and, and bury this guy. So then it probably took just about the same amount of time for them to bury Sapphira. So, what, four to six hours of th- these young men's day was taken up with digging graves? They could have been out distributing money to the needy but they were out in the hot Jerusalem sun digging graves because of the choice of Ananias and Sapphira you know they had a choice and you and I have a choice we can have a positive impact in this life or we can have a negative impact and it's always a good idea to check our motives for when we're giving of ourselves of our money anything we need to check our motives to make sure that they're pleasing to God You know, as I went through this scripture, I grappled with some things about my motives. I mean, I had to ask myself honestly, when I give of my time or my talent or my resources, am I doing it to honor God and help others? Or am I doing it so people say, oh, she's so generous. Look at her. Am I pretending to give God my first and my best when I'm really just throwing him the scraps of my leftovers? Do my actions and my attitudes and even my checkbook reveal that I value people or possessions more? Is there something that is dead or will never be allowed to live because I am refusing to give all of who I am to God because I'm refusing to give him access to everything? 
you know, day by day, moment by moment, for all of our life, we will have to make the choice of how much of our lives we're going to give to God. I'd love to tell you that you can just decide today to give it all to God, and then it's all easy from that point. No, it is a moment by moment decision in many cases. But I believe it has to start somewhere. And maybe it needs to start for you and me today. In a moment, we're going to um, offer you the opportunity to have a time of communion. And if you're not a Christ follower, don't feel like you have to participate in this. But if you are a Christ follower, if you believe Jesus died for your sins, I would invite you that as the ushers come forward and pass the baskets with the communion elements in them, to take them and then just hold on to them for a minute because we're going to just take some time to reflect on what we've heard this morning. You know, we celebrate communion each week at LifePoint because we want to make sure that we're reminded of the fact that God loved us so much that he chose to give his only son to die for our sins. The, the bread on the little top layer of the cup represents the body of Christ that he willingly gave on the cross for our sins. And the juice in the cup represents his blood that was the once and for all sacrifice for our sins. You know, the bad news is that just like Ananias and Sapphira, you and I are sinners. We are capable of just as much fraud and deceit as they were. That's bad news. But there's good news. The scripture tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And because of what Jesus did for us, 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, God's love is unconditional, but that promise right there is conditional. It says, if we confess our sins. So we need to be honest. We need to confess the, the areas in our life where we are being deceitful or where we're holding back from God. And then we can repent, which means to turn away from those sins. So the band in, in just a moment is going to sing a song. And, and as they sing, I would invite you, rather than just quickly taking the communion, to just take some time and check your motives. And ask yourself, be really honest to God here in this moment. And ask yourself, maybe there's an area in, in your life where you're not living out truth and integrity. And maybe you realize that you've been holding back and not giving God everything. Maybe you realize today that you love things a whole lot more than you love people. It's reflected in the way you live. It's reflected in how you spend your money and your time. And maybe your stuff really does get the best of you. Maybe it dawned on you that you're enabling somebody else to sin and there's someone in your life who, who is, is sinning and you've been just too afraid to confront them lovingly about that. It could be that you're sitting here today and, and you realize that you have been enticed by Satan and he's suggesting some things to you and you're just about to make a decision. And I would encourage you that to remember that if you are a Christ follower, remember the exit door. The Holy Spirit in you is illuminating this big exit sign and it's up to you to look at the sign and take the exit. The choice is going to be yours. Satan cannot make you do anything. Maybe you realize today that, that you really need to give God your marriage. Maybe you need to give them your finances. Maybe you realize that you have a whole different nickname at home than you do when you're in this place. Maybe you've been coming to Life Point for a while, and really the only thing that's changed in your life is what you do on a Sunday morning. And your family back home knows that you're a whole different person then. And maybe the Spirit of God is saying to you, you know what, it's time to change. Give me that. Give me your life. Give me that attitude. Give me whatever it is that's keeping you from being all I want you to be. God wants you to be filled with dynamite power 
for. He wants us to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can experience the fullness of his grace, so that we can have power in our testimony and in our generosity. So as the band sings this song, I would invite each of us to just take a moment and realize if we're really being real and and talk to God about it and let him talk to you about it. And in this moment, you can make the decision to begin to give him everything. After the band sings, you can can take the, the elements when you feel ready, and then we'll just have a closing time before we end today. As we go through this week, I would encourage all of us to really not just go through the motions, but to give everything we are for the God who gave everything for us. If you really want this to be a new start and a fresh start in that area for you, I would encourage you now as the band sings our last song to stand up and sing this song as a declaration to God.